Hi guys, welcome to my Steps to Sobriety, your show on YouTube and as a podcast. Today is time for another interview. And this time I meet someone from exactly the other side of the world. I have got a, an actor, singer, and all around cool guy with me today, Steve Pereira. The one thing that I have to warn you about, he is English. Not just that, he's from Leicester. Um, so this is, this is, I know, I know, let's do not hold it against him, okay? It's, it's just, <laughs> Steve, I'm, I'm pulling your leg here because my wife is from Coventry. I lived in Coventry. Oh, really? They are spitting distance, so therefore, uh, it's, yeah. it's, if, if I take a few times to make out of you and your accent, forgive me because I'm living with it. It's <laughs> <laughs> just the trauma that I daily occur, okay? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, so, it's literally 20 minutes away, isn't it? Isn't so, it? Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's bizarre times. Steve, welcome to my show. I'm so grateful that, Thank you. You, that you found the time and made yourself available uh, in your busy life to say hello to me. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, that, that, I'd love to do this kind of thing. So you have to make time as well, so occasionally. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Steve, you're an actor, and and this is uh, this is a disease that affects many from a very early stage onwards. That you get bitten by this bug, or might have it in your genes. And some of my actor friends actually were were acting literally uh, at a very early stage in their life of doing little shows uh yeah. barely barely able to walk but wanting to make their their parents laugh and and putting things on was that a bit like you or is that uh, what was your childhood like yeah sort of um it wasn't uh, like you see on the videos and you're suddenly singing a, a song in perfect pitch like you do in some people but <laughs> I definitely had that that vibe because I did I, I did go to a theatre classes when I was little as well, so I was always kind of a Sunday class at the Haymarket Theatre in Leicester it was, and um, and yeah it kind of stemmed from there and the school realised I was so I was always in the little plays when in primary school, um, and same with the singing side I was a, actually an altar boy and singing the Hail Mary and the Our Father. They, they kind of got me to, well, it was actually the Our Father. I had to do the initial part of the singing when they when they repeat it. So, um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how I had that bug in me. But unfortunately, I didn't kind of carry it on. So it was a big gap until recently. So I took on, you know, things like IT and business studies and things like that because there wasn't many guys really going. I'm showing my age here a bit, but there wasn't many guys kind of going into performing arts and drama. And if you did, you got kind of laughed at. So it was a bit of a stigma thing. So I just kind of took that route, um, really, to be honest. And that's the problem, isn't it? It's become again and again and again to these, to these facts that we want to be accepted by our peers. We want to be out there. We don't want to be laughed at. We don't want to be destroyed in our soul by some shitty negative comment and one comment in the wrong time can destroy so much isn't it yeah definitely so, 
Where, how were you at school? Was school good for you? Yeah, uh, well, to be honest, I'll say yes and no, because again, it's all to do with these stigmas again. And um, I was, um, as you know, a lot Indian um, and here, but then as well, it was, I went to a Catholic school and there wasn't very many Indian people that went there or any kind of people. So I obviously had the kind of uh, life where racism was kind of more apparent and you could stay in class and you wouldn't get that much in trouble just telling off like it was a name. So it was kind of all around you. So I had to kind of deal with that, but I, I survived. I survived that through and, and you know, went on to uni and things like that. So, it, but it was difficult. And but in some places it was brilliant because I, I still speak to my friends now. So, so I'm thankful for that. Which is weird if you think about it. Uh, for the viewers and listeners out there, Leicester is is a beautifully multicultural place. Uh, right. If you want any Indian spice, uh, you will find the true taste of India in in any of the shops in Leicester. So therefore, you would have expected that that any brown skin would be very normal, accepted. There's no way you can cross the street without seeing someone in a sari or, or seeing uh, brown skin. So it's the same, just as much yeah. as I'm here in, in Rotorua, we have got a very high uh, a rate of Maori people living here. And it is, we are, we are proud to be brown in Rotorua. It is just normal. I mean, many of my nurses I've worked with and doctors I work with, they, are, they have got brown color. So for me, there is actually not much difference if there is whatever shade of, of, of color they are. Yet, yeah. you're telling me even in places where there are so many uh, people um, living, even there you, had, you have been exposed to, to racism? Yeah, that's right. I mean... We're talking in the 1990s now, so that's where I'm giving up my age now. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, I mean, the, you've probably heard of the Melton Road yourself, but it's, it's a basically a long road and it's full of gold, Indian shops and Indian gold and Indian food, like you said about the spices. Now, that was there still, but there were still a lot of villages around Leicester that was completely white. Um, yeah. I know where we live now in Winston, we were the first few kind of Indian families to come over. Um, from, say, uh, a kind of more city-based town um, like Highfield. That's where we were living. So that was, that was multicultural and that was, that was fine. It's just when we kind of came out of that area um, to kind of find... Um, I think my dad wanted to kind of take us away from that culture as well. So we had a bit of that culture and also the culture where we're living now. And I think he wanted that for us. So he moved us to this place, um, which I love, and still around here now. So. So yeah, it's definitely, it feels like normal now. Um, you know, we're talking now, you know, in 2020. But yeah, 20 years ago, it was a very different place, uh, which it was. But yeah, definitely. And it's such shit if you think about it. I mean, I did, I did, what, three, four years ago, I did a DNA test myself and, and, just right. I was intrigued to see what is actually in me 
And it is so beautiful. As far as I'm concerned, if I was the leader of a country, it would be mandatory DNA testing to for all of you to see who is in you, what's your genetic makeup. And uh, it is astounding. There were a lot of things in me where someone deposited a little bit of that and deposited a little really? bit of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and grandma obviously had some interesting connections kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And this is cool. This is really, really cool. Because I, I struggle. If now a, world, a, a war was to break out in Europe, I would have no idea who to fight for. Because, you yeah. know, I'm, you sit around the, the dinner table. My wife is English. One boy was born in New Zealand. One was born in Aussie. So we've got four nations around the dinner table, for crying out loud. Yeah, and then exactly. I look into my DNA makeup and say, well, actually, I can't find you because, sorry, I'm, you know, a related kind of thing. And I can't find yeah. you. And I can... Fantastic. No more wars. <laughs> God. Oh, man. <laughs> but, if only it was that simple. <laughs> oh, isn't it? Isn't it? I couldn't agree more. But I mean, man, you, so you, you ended up in, in, in some situations based upon your race that you didn't like and you, you developed a tough skin is what my educated guess was. Yeah. How did that continue down the line? You were going into business, you were going into your career. How was life then for you? Yeah, I mean, once it kind of it kind of became the norm where you would see, you know, Indian people and black people and you know, everyone that you can think of, it was obviously way better. So university life was was brilliant, you know, it was it was an experience just like most people have. You know, going out, drinking, it probably kind of stemmed from there. But, you know, it, it wasn't so wild as I thought it was, you know, until later in life, to be honest with you. But <laughs> race kind of became less um, involved in that part of it. And, I, you know, I successfully kind of opened a, a computer shop, which I was kind of happy and proud of and it was making money and all sorts. So, you know, it, it, was, it was a great time at that point, to be honest Brilliant. with you. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. And in all fairness, I mean, having lived a UK life, there's very much a daytime and then the sun sets and then that's a very different life. Um, it is for the viewers out there who have never been to the UK. It's a very picturesque country where everyone is prim and proper and there are castles and beautiful things and culture, <laughs> etc. And then the sun sets and the vampires come out. And the vampires are typically within the same prim and proper people that you meet during the daytime. But then you add in four or five pints of whatever or some spirits. And suddenly these same people, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's just on yeah. steroids. And that was something that struck me tremendously when I lived in the UK because it was such a different drinking culture to uh, Germany, where you're a little bit more mellow, there is not this extreme, these extreme variations from the very one to the other. To and it's <laughs> yeah, it is. It was intriguing, uh, but then again, this is alcohol was normal around that time. I lived in the nineties in in Coventry, and it was so normal. You would at work as a doctor you would go after immediately after the clinic you would go to the social club 
and have a few beers and right. have some good fun. And it was all normal. So it's the same as you yeah. in the business world, the same in you, in, in your surroundings, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're right. Everyone's got this culture where, you know, they're dying to finish work or and they're deciding which pub they want to go to, like you yeah. said. And it's kind of a routine. It's, it's like, all right, go to work. As soon as you finish, that's it. You deserve a drink. And that was the culture. And that's where you met people. And, yeah. you know, and, and they're everywhere, like you said. So to try and um, avoid it would be really difficult. And I'd say uh, you'd have to be working, you know, 20 hours a day, I'd say, to, to, to be able to avoid that situation. Because if it wasn't there, then the people go around your house instead or vice versa. And, you know, it, it, it was very different. That kind of fell into that trap as well. So that was one of my kind of, say, say downfalls, really, in that side of things. And, mm. um, and, and not only that, I became, I was a different person as well. I was, I was a bit of a show-off, if I'm honest with you. I was trying to, you know, get, you know, get the flash because I ended up earning money. I trying to get the nice cars and, you know, wear the nice clothes and stuff like that. It was, that money has a different meaning at that point to me than it does completely now. And, and, you know, and that was that kind of a mission to kind of get the best car and, and things like that. And, you know, doing that and starting to drink as well, it, it was, it wasn't very kind of, it was a very lonely place I'd say then it became because, you know, you are on your kind of own carrying on doing that. Um, and some people can take that drink and it's just the fact that I couldn't. I did turn into this Jekyll and Hyde kind of person. You know, everybody said, Steve, you're absolutely lovely when you're sober. <laughs> but when you have a drink or two, you're a different man. And that's kind of where it, still, it didn't sink in, obviously. Um, but it, it carried on for years, really. Um, you know, for a, a decade, I'd say, um, of my period of my life. And typically, judging by my own career, so to speak, uh, that career is a slippery slope. Um, you start with a bit of social drinking, and then you consider yourself a social butterfly, and you think, yeah, I'm a social, I'm cool, yeah. I am. Okay, where's the next pub, where's the next party? And you drink more and more, and whilst it is fun, well, it's nice if it lasts, but it doesn't. And then sooner or later, you you fall up the career ladder, so to speak. Uh, from me, uh, beer and wine changed to spirits. I was a, a vodka man, and the only reason I was yeah. a vodka man is because vodka is the least likely to stink and reek. So therefore, you can hide it more. Um, that's that was the real reason why I drank vodka. Not I know that same. That, that is the same reason for me. Um, a clear drink, you can't really smell it. All the all the same tips um, I'm feeling right now. But yeah, it was just a way to hide things, wasn't it? It was just okay. If it spills on you as well, it's you know you're not going to see it. Oh, your clothes aren't going to smell that bad. Um, but yeah, it. <laughs> Yeah, That's looking right. back at that, it's, oh, yeah. How long has that hiding game been going on? How long, you were, you were saying a good 10 years, alcohol was a very close friend in your life. Probably not the nicest yeah. friend, but he was there. So 10 years, and, and how much of that was then, with hindsight, occupied by being the high-functioning alcoholic? 
or pretending to be still functioning alcoholic? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, was, I wasn't really functioning in my own business itself. Um, yeah, uh, you know, the business started to kind of go down a, sl- uh, a slope. Uh, I didn't kind of pick up on it. And I ended up, you know, that lasted for at least six years um, going on. Um, I ended up kind of losing that business in the end because it came to a point where I couldn't afford it. I'd lost mm. almost everything in terms of money-wise. Um, and there was nothing now bringing it in. So, you know, I, the IT shop were kind of was, was selling, but I had to go out to the clients, I go out to the schools and colleges, and that's where the contracts were. And I wasn't doing that. Uh, you know, you get, you get to a point where you see a phone ringing, you just don't answer it. And but that answering what I used to do all the time was a connection to somebody to say, oh, hi, are you there? Can we look at this? And then perhaps you know, they want to buy more things, you know, or want a service that they don't, you know, that at the time um, they perhaps need and need, but I just ignored it. And, you know, eventually that came to a point where, you know, the, the people came closing in and, and, uh, you know, the bailiffs kind of came and took most of the things in the shop and then the shop was gone. So I kind of knew then, okay, the other things that could go in slowly as well, um, which ended up being the car. And then the final thing was my home itself. So I did end up losing my home um, as well to kind of it. It just, you know, obviously it got on kind of over a year where I was trying to try and pay bits of money, but it just wasn't enough. And <clears throat> and it was kind of the collapse of the house, really. It was just come to a point where even when they were ringing me to take it back, it's that close. I just, I had to then say no because even if I took it back, I just don't know where in my head uh, I'd be able to afford it. And I wasn't kind of, I knew I wouldn't be moving on properly as well in, my, in, in the back of my head. So, and I knew I had to hit that rock bottom before I had to go back up again because it was just no way of me kind of, you know, talking to somebody to say, can you help to bring it back? And that's the thing maybe I should have done, but you don't at the time, do you? You kind of, you kind of realize that, you should have asked for help. Maybe they could have helped you, but then when you do ask for help, you, you try and hide a bit of it as well. So it ended up, you know, my dad putting some money into it, which meant he lost his money. And I knew if I keep on doing that, he will obviously want to help me if he can. And I knew that was just going down even more of a slippery slope again. So it had to be the fact that I had to let everything go in order to hit that rock bottom before I started doing up. But, but yeah, I mean, one of the, the, the things that I had to really do is I decided to go to Dubai because I thought it was alcohol, not alcohol free, but hardly any alcohol there. But it was, it was another wrong thing to do because it was everywhere. Mm. And, you know, I went there because I thought, right, I'll stop drinking in a natural way. I'll work. And I went down to the bottom. I, I, I ended up being an IT technician in, in a company down there and, you know, fixing mouses where I've done 20, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, but I had to do that because that was the only job I could really get, you know. And so I did that. But then alcohol came came back forward again. Mm. Just when I thought I was going back up again, um, it became a big part of my life again. And mm. um, I ended up, you know, going from, instead of going to all the bars, though, I was going home to drink. And that's when I knew it's going to be a different 
football game because it's just there in the house then. Um, and people think, yeah, okay, it's a Muslim country, it should be there, but I'm English. Um, they give you a license to drink, basically. And, and, you, and it's, to, you don't just say no to it. And it's the expat community. Drinking is yes. so prevalent in, in expat communities. It is as right. normal as breathing. And drinking too much is as normal as breathing. And it's weird, yeah. absolute weird. So certainly, yes, uh, I, I know a lot of people who have been working in such environments and they're very wet, no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, I think somebody made a, uh, a comment which celebrity was, somebody did make a joke saying, all they do in Dubai is, is work, go home and drink. And <laughs> that was before I went and they didn't realize that, well, no, that's just different people. I ended up thinking of that comment till this day uh, now. And um, I can't remember his name now. The, the, the presenter of Top Gear said that. I can't remember his name, but um, the one I got sacked of Top Gear and, and so on. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. And, and ultimately, maybe there was a silver lining here for you because when you were in Dubai, the wheels really came off. Are yeah. you happy to share a bit about that? Yeah, um, it, it did. I mean, I did successfully stop drinking at one point, uh, um, one of the years, um, and it was from a good six months. So I did it, you know, kind of before summer. And then I said to myself, I'll give myself a Christmas and I'll have a drink. And 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 that because I did it for six, seven months, I thought, fine. Um, but it then came to February and I just, I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, it's February. Christmas has been, New Year's has been and gone. And I said to myself, I'll just drink for Christmas and stop again because I did it before. But I think that's what people's downfall are because you think, you know, you can do it. You, you think you're, you're invincible basically that you can just stop anytime then. But it, it was so wrong there. It was, I, I couldn't stop and it came to a head where, where there was a project coming up and I had to be sober for that and it was only a weekend and I suddenly just decided to stop drinking um, which eventually then decided caused me the the shake the tremors and and, and basically eventually my kind of all, all my organs shut down um, actually something more than I wrote I actually started hearing voices um, and I couldn't believe it. I, I knew there's voices there. I remember watching all them films, you know, uh, uh, what's it, Beautiful Man, I think it was, and um, and he had like two people walking beside him, and but they weren't real, and it was just in his head. I had that, and I knew it was wrong, so I never talked to it, but then I did, and, um, and that was another downfall. I listened to these voices, and although I know it was true they kind of scared me eventually they were there for a day and and I ended up just taking a lot of tablets and I think that's why my organs failed me because I thought I could get away with not because I didn't want to live anymore it's because they were kind of threatening my family who were there my cousins and things like that um and the voices were saying right if, if we don't get you they're going to get them and it was so real it was so bizarre um that I was talking to it through in my head and then sometimes I had to lift up my phone so that people realized that I was talking to somebody because but really I wasn't I was talking to people in my head it was it, it was horrible it was just 
not the way to, to do it. And um, I mean, I luckily survived that, but there are apparently many that don't. And I wish I had stopped when I did it first time around and stayed there. It's not good to try and go forward and come back. And they all tell you, don't they? To, you know, it's going to stop, stop. There's no point going forward and back because you're just going to get there in the end. You're going to get to the point where you might not survive. And that was the crucial kind of point where I ended up in hospital. And I think that must have been the seventh or eighth time I was in hospital. But this time, I didn't take myself. Um, the others were in the fact that I had called the ambulance because I knew I was getting bad or somebody called them for me. But this time is the other time where I next thing I do is remember is I'm in a Dubai hospital and, and them telling me that they can't, although it was a big, massive American hospital um, and it had everybody in there, things were made of brass and gold and all sorts. They, they just have these rules that they can't serve, they can't operate on people who are alcohol-based um, drinking problems. There was apparently one hospital there, but they weren't taking, a, taking any people. So it was, I don't know what it's like now, but they couldn't save me there, basically. Huh. And that was... I didn't know that. I know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, okay. they, I mean, I don't know how far they would go, but basically they sent us away is the fact that, you know, and they rang a number of hospitals, I believe, and the only way was to come fly back, fly back, basically. Um, which we kind of had to risk in the end, and and um, yeah, and I can't remember it at all. But my brother at that point saved my life because he was there with me in Dubai, and apparently he took me everywhere and got me up, got me to the airport, got me to the plane, got me on the plane. I don't know how, but you know, um, I owe my life. But it was the fact that the next thing I know, again, I'm waking up in a London hospital. Um, and finding out that I had a cardiac arrest um, just as they landed the plane, which again was, you know, just just a miracle that 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 happened. And the fact that my sister had called an ambulance ready for them to be at the hospital, uh, sorry, be at the airport as well, because they the flight from my brother contacted them to say, "Can you get ambulance ready?" Because he'll need to go straight in and so on. And it's just for them reasons why I survived really. Oh, yeah, bit of a horrifying time. But. That's one understatement. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reality is what you have described is an extreme version of events that play out every single day around the world to a lesser degree. When your body is used to drinking and you suddenly stop, it can be the most horrendous trip that i mean stephen yeah. king is a, is a is a is a starter a little altar boy uh, compared with what your brain will come up with i met a gentleman uh quite some time ago now who was an an, an architect and um, he made a point of having a lovely glass of wine with his wife as a celebration of their marriage, of them being together every single day. And it would work out uh, towards one bottle of wine between the two of them, never more, never less. And he did that regularly like clockwork for a long time. And then he broke his ankle and he came into the hospital. And within a day or two, he 
went absolutely berserk. Now he had, like you, he had recollection and he afterwards told me how it felt for him. And he described to me the episode where he was lying in bed and three nurses were coming in and they wanted to cut his balls off. And I thought for a moment and then I realized they were probably three nurses that wanted to help him because when you're in delirium, you sweat like a dog. They probably wanted to give him a, a sponge bath uh, in the bed. And he was convinced they wanted to cut my balls off and he fought them with all the power and might he had because for him, it was so real. And you can imagine why, why then fights in the hospital are happening and why, why some nurses get hurt because of exactly that. It's not that he was a yeah. bad guy. He was actually the loveliest guy ever, but he was in his mind, he saw a different reality than our reality was at that time. And it was bizarre. So delirium is very much a, a part and parcel of heavy drinking because your body is, it doesn't like that you just suddenly stop the amount of alcohol and your body during the drinking had completely rearranged the brain. So it was giving far more of that and far less of that in response to your constant alcohol. Now you take the alcohol away, you're lopsided in your head and all hell breaks loose. That's exactly what you have experienced. Yeah. I wrote a, a, I wrote a book, My Steps to Sobriety, and in there, guys, if you if if that rings a bell, what Steve and I are talking about, and you fear how to go about that, I've, I've put chapters in there to actually explain what delirium is, what physical dependence is, and how to go about it. So don't just go cold turkey. And by the way, right. why cold turkey? Because, well, that's exactly how your skin feels like. You're sweating, your, 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 your hair will stand on edge. So it is literally you yeah. talking, you touching a cold turkey. That's where that saying comes from. So guys, yeah. don't try that at home, kids. Okay. So uh, if, you, if, no, if you want to know more, read my book. Uh, more importantly, if you want to come off alcohol, Talk to your GP, talk to your family physician, wherever you are, yeah. and, and listen to people like Steve, who has been there, uh, who, who yeah, has gone through the extreme version of it. And you, my friend, have got two birthdays now, because you essentially <laughs> died there and then on the bloody tarmac in, in Gatwick, and it is... How bizarre, how bizarre. But then you were a lucky bugger. So when you woke up in hospital, how was that? Um, that was horrible because I didn't realize that I had a cardiac arrest because I just thought I was just waking up. And but I knew my mind wasn't right. You know, when you get that dizzy feeling, that horrible, um, just that horrible feeling all over your body that you can't even move. But I had tubes down my throat because I um, obviously needed help breathing um, by machines, but it, it still didn't dawn on me what was going on. I had visitors and they gave me a head sketch to write with and all sorts, and um, I didn't. And then till a nurse came up to me and said, didn't, she goes, 
don't you realise that you know what happened to you? I went, no, at this well, you know, mentioned my head sideways, um, and and she said, well, you had a cardiac arrest, and that nurse that saw me, she goes, I literally had to jump on you, and I did this, and I was like, what? And my heart stopped, and like it was, yeah, it was the kind of the worst feeling. It was like. And I know it's like if your tongue is away from you, how you can communicate is just I had a little bit of that kind of moment as if you can't talk, and it was just not nice. Um, and that, and obviously, I, I not only that, I, look, I remember looking at my body, and it was apparently I was so skinny and bones everywhere. I apparently I went down to like five bone, I think that's about 40 something pounds, or how about. I don't know which way you're you're at, but something something but enormous. So how many how many stones did you say? I went down to five point five or something. Oh shit. Stones basically. Uh, stone Half is my about weight completely. No. Stone is about six kilogram, six point six somewhere there thereabouts. So five times six is thirty. So we are just short of, of forty kilogram. Yeah. Which is uh your body was malnourished to the extreme and again this is actually normal every alcoholic is malnourished full stop yeah. period you just went for the gold medal that is <laughs> unfortunately the truth and again that is that is what we see that is again we will there's yeah there is nothing nothing it's like i started the steps and then missed the step and fell <laughs> just roll down the to the bottom mm. i mean you would have been full of shame guilt i mean it would have hit you like a two by four on the head that you really had reached a point where you simply could not continue like that yeah were your parents there for you yeah, fortunately, you know, I, I was lucky to have like really good support around me. Um, it's when I realised that everybody around me that from around the world were there. Like my brother's, my brother lives in Sydney, and he came over to kind of see me, and um, and I realised why is everyone here? And because they thought I was going to die, and yeah. but you know they kind of gave me some kind of termination, encouraged me basically to kind of. Say, go on, Steve. It's up to you now. It's like the doctors are doing everything they can, but it's kind of saying your body now has to take the next step, and it's your it's something in you that's got to give. That's that's gonna help them and or help help the doctors save me, basically. Um, and I don't know what it was, but he, you know they were there from you know I ended up staying in hospital for another another. Well, I was in London for a month, and then I went back to Leicester, but I was in Leicester Royal. Um, hospital for another seven months it was that bad and I ended up being one of the most longest patients there ever um, and you know it it was I suppose people are saying it, it's not my time because I had to have a heart operation um, because they said they found liquid on my heart um, and they couldn't let me go out from the hospital until they found out what it was and um, they tried all sorts of tests you know trying to access the heart but they said they couldn't, and the only way I had, they had to do it was to have open heart surgery. So I ended up having to go through that, um, which is why I've now got a huge phoenix. I'm not sure if you can see everything yes. on my chest. 
because it just covers some of the scars of the of the of the actual you know um, surgery itself. So I wanted something with meaning that kind of meant not just me having a new life and because I've stopped drinking, but I needed something to remind me and look at every time I look in the mirror, not you know to say that's that's the reason why you're not drinking, um, you know and in that hospital stay though, they, uh, I end up getting MRSA and pneumonia, which is killing two more killer diseases at the same time, yeah. apparently. And I was in, I think they told me I was in a coma for a, a, another couple of weeks or something stupid that I can't remember, but um, they just said it wasn't my time. He said, mm. God, you know, somebody there said, you're not coming back yet. You've still got more to do, you know? And I kind of knew then that I had to not, give up because I did want to give up obviously at some point I did that but then I just looked at my family looked at my parents and I just imagine myself if I was in their position um you know if, if I was in their position what would happen what would what would I want and I knew I'd want my brother to survive yeah so I um ended up getting MRSA and pneumonia at the same time and obviously there was just somebody saying don't go yet you're, you're needed here you're it's not your time and um and i believe in that kind of gave me the help and determination to then say i want to survive which is wow wow and i'm not surprised to hear that at all uh, mrsa is a skin bug that lives in the uk on quite a number of people so it just quietly sits there and doesn't do much harm but the moment your immune defense goes down the gurgler, the moment you're really sick, then it comes out to play. And it's an opportune buck. It will take advantage of you. And I'm not surprised with your degree of malnutrition and as sick as you were, that you had a secondary infection, that you had something else taking advantage of your reduced defenses so yeah. i'm i'm not surprised and listening to your story you have not only one extra birthday on the tarmac in gatwick but you actually have got several more because the chances of you not making it out of the hospital with your journey your setting seven months in hospital there is a damn good reason that you were seven months in the hospital so Wow. Wow. And the other thing I want to say is my hat off to your parents, because certainly yeah. in the Indian culture, it is all about appearance, all about to be the happy family and uh, you want to be seen as everything is perfect. So alcohol in some families is actually a taboo and to make a fool out of yourself is even more taboo and then to be like you completely at the brink that is that must have been very hard for your parents if they were indeed more conservative in their own upbringing and in their own in their own background well my mom came in every day um to the hospital <laughs> <laughs> Every single day, she was there bringing food as they do. They, you know, um, and Beautiful. and then after that, they looked after me for another couple. Of, I am I still live with them because I feel that I need to give something back because 
as soon as I, I was ill and they took me on and I, as soon as that hospital they did everything took me to the numerous amount of appointments thereafter um, as you can imagine and you know and fed me to the state where I a few years later I started socializing a bit more and instead of staying at home and and you know and now I feel that they are getting that stage themselves I'm, although I've got five siblings um, um, I'm the only one left here now so you know I, I feel that I can't really move now I can't go back to my house or anything like that or you know it's their time and I should really look after them and do my best to do you know to help them out even if it's just for company's sake you know because um, unfortunately my mum's got dementia now and she had another time so you know her health is deteriorated instead of mine so it's like I've got to be there just for my dad as well, um, you know, because it's hard for him because he's become her carer now. So they've become in that situation themselves. It's it's very difficult. And I know he, I see the struggles in that sometimes. So, so yeah, it's my turn to give back really as well. Not just, you know, to them, but everybody else. That's that's helped me really. Um, even platforms like this, um, it's, it's just the way you always think, how can you repay it back? But you, you just think, Okay, you can talk to people, um, you can text people, you can, you know, let them know that you're there, but it's finding ways of doing it and which is why I'd never give it give up a chance of just saying, you know, I'm coming on if I can help even one person, um, you know, or any one person think about it, um, and help them in any way at all, that's just a bonus, complete bonus. Um, for that. That's exactly why I'm sitting here at seven o'clock in the morning, having gone up, having a showered early on a Saturday to talk to you. Because I believe even if one person listens to us having an honest, open chat about alcohol and what happened to you, what happened to me, then I've achieved a goal. I've made this world a little bit better. Just you know, planting yeah. a seed somewhere. And that seed might not might not start to grow for a little while. This person might have exactly. to to fall a few more times into the gutter phase down before they might recall what you and I have been talking about today. But that puts me or that gives me the warm feeling inside, the feeling of hope. Because I was, I was at, at that stage where there was no hope for me. I was hopeless. I was helpless. Yeah. I was alone. I was hiding all my, my drinking. It was a horrible, horrible time with hindsight. And I guess your story and my story shows that the past does not equal the future. You can yeah. turn around, however bad it has gotten. It can't be so bad that there is no hope. That's actually physically not possible. Okay, Steve and Steve, <laughs> Stefan, <laughs> we are living proof that you can turn your shit around. And definitely, Steve, wow, wow, to now fast forward to you being out there and uh, developing your career to actually think hard what you want to be deep inside. 
both spiritually, emotionally, etc., you indeed want to do. And then suddenly this acting and the singing came on. So how cool is that? Tell us about that. So you were you were empty. You were an empty shell. You were hiding at yeah. home, essentially. And without your mom and dad, you would have been toast. Definitely. What created the phoenix? What was the spark that made the phoenix rise? For me, it was the point in hospital um, and I looked at my body and I said that the only way that this is going to work is that I start moving, I start doing something. So there was a bit of a spark, I'd say, there at that point. But then I also remember lying there and remembering how I used to love singing and acting, um, you know, in every form, every way that I remembered. And, and I said to myself, right, I'm going to have to give it a go. I, my sister's got three gorgeous nieces, sorry, daughters of my nieces. Um, and I just remembered them. And I just thought to myself, if, if they look at kind of you and say, oh, you want to do this, and I never even give it a try, then how can anyone say to anyone, try and go for your dreams? So even if I thought, well, look, go for it, try and do the acting side, try and sing, try and do whatever you can. Um, to make this work and if it don't work then at least I can say to them I have tried and Correct. that's what kind of sparked it oh, that's beautiful. what sparked it really beautiful 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 and you had a little bit of that acting in you but I mean uh, acting when you're 10 uh, standing there pretending to be a tree in a production is probably one thing <laughs> compared with now trying to get roles in 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 famous series like you're yeah, starting yeah. to appear more in things like Emmerdale and and you had 27 mentionings when I when I looked you up on on IMDb so well done man so you're certainly putting yourself out there and you're certainly starting to reap the reward you're starting to appear yeah. uh, more and more fantastic fantastic definitely I think like you have to as well have um, have that goal, um, you know, in the inside your head. So, because if you feel that okay, giving up drinking is one kind of step, but then you've got to kind of. I felt that I had to kind of go for something, and if I feel that I'm going to be happy with that, then it's going to help me with the sobriety as well. Isn't Shit, it? So, yeah. No, that is know, that is the key, man. That is the key. You've yeah. nailed it there. Be passionate about something and go out there, grab it by the balls and live that life. And that will give you the feel-good factor, the, the beautiful strength where you think, you look in the mirror and think, wow, did I do that? Wow. You know, compared with where you had come from. And that is something that happens to me every single bloody day. And I uh, wouldn't have it any other way because every, yeah. every new day gives me new challenges uh, in a good way. Uh, sometimes they give you obstacles as well. But then again, hey, that is, is, that's life. But you are there, man. You are on your journey and you're on a journey of, of redemption. You are uh, living amends. You're doing living amends. You're there for your mom and dad. You're there for others, and you're there as a role model now. I mean, 
the the one I thing. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's the same with me. And there's automatically the, the little the little voice there. Role model, look at you. How can you be a role model? You're a fat, wrong side of fifty, and and yeah, you're not not Joe Rogan, or you're not you know <laughs> willing, etc. How dare you go out tell people? Well, beep beep. Um, <laughs> it is me. And I've gone through that shit. And it's Steve who has gone through the shit and who has recreated his life. And we are sharing our story. We are sharing our story to the world here, not because we're exhibit, exhibit, um, not because we're exhibitionists, but because we know that alcoholism is a disease of hiding and the only way that you can break through it is step one that you admit that you have got a problem and then step two and three that you're actually uh, going out there and say look guys i've got a problem let's find a team that can help me and that's really yes, that's really definitely. the start of your journey now you had the extreme version of it, you actually didn't need to say, I've got a problem. Other people said it for you, did the intervention, rescued your life. But now you're living proof that, hey, this life is great and this is this is beautiful. I, I have to say one thing though, of all the industries, that you could have chosen. <laughs> you chose one of the wettest industries that there is. I know. <laughs> so I know, I know. How does that work? I mean, it is we have got lovely role models amongst your peers who have come out to speak out about their own struggles with mental health and with alcoholism. And it's beautiful, it's beautiful to see to see the numerous faces that you know from film and, and from the film industry, that they appear and say, hey, I'm six years clean, I'm one year clean, I'm yeah. you know, 21 years clean. And it's, it's heartwarming. But they are the absolute minority. They, they, they must be you know, less than a grain of salt in, in a big ocean. Um, is, that, is that still fair to say? Is, can I assume that, that the film industry hasn't changed so much as far as the drinking, the high pressure, and then the release valve of alcohol is concerned? It, it is fairly the same, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I see a lot, but a, a lot of um, people are in that situation. And I can see, I mean, they don't know I can see because they don't know I've been through it. But yeah, I can see the signs of, you know, of, and some actors hiding. Um, I can see different people as crew. You know, you can just, you can just spot it kind of a little bit, can't you? Um, <laughs> that they they may not admit it, but you know, they're, they're, you can see the signs. But 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 like you, like we both know, it's going to be up to that person to really make that decision. And no matter how many times you tell them. How many times you, you speak to them, there is a point where you know it's not going to get through until they decide or something happens in their life that makes them realize that it's got to change. And I think that's how actors are realizing that's how they're, 
they're getting their roles back because they're changing. You know, there's a lot of actors out there that are being sacked because of whether it be drugs or alcohol. Mm. And yet, months later, because of their recovery, they're back on again, you know, and people are wanting them again because, you know, they have made that change. They have made that choice to do that. But, you know, mm. but there are some, a lot that don't want to do that and just live the, uh, the high-flying life. But at some point, they're going to fall, mm. basically. But you know and but yeah you know, i mean <laughs> i mean there's a <laughs> for all of those of you who are still thinking that you're so clever in hiding you can't bullshit a bullshitter okay steve yeah. and me we are both bloody bloody radar detectors we can <laughs> smell you a mile because we have done it all we know exactly what to look out for and on the flip side you see people like us around you and you recognize each other for where we have been, for what we have done and where we are now. It is a brotherhood. Yeah. It is a, a brother yeah. and sisterhood out there where you sort of, you just meet someone, you, you get very quickly an inkling and there's this kind of look of recognition and look of, yeah, I was going to say that as well. We, you, you can tell when somebody has, and they, and somehow you, it's either me I say it or they say it, and we realise that yes, that's the reason why we're able to talk in this way or in this kind of open manner and and not to hide about it. And but I do know people who do hide it even afterwards, um, even after they're going to come from the recovery. I mean, it's, it, obviously, it's everyone's choice to to do that, um, of course, but. Um, but in my case, and obviously in your case as well, that I'd rather use the, use that, um, I suppose, experience and knowledge, I call it, um, to kind of help anyone. And just by being that open and just by speaking to people, that it's not just something that you can hide away and hide from, but it's people realize it's an issue and there's a lot of help out there. You know, there's definitely that. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, Steve, I'm so grateful for your honesty. It is so refreshing to talk to a man who is not afraid to show his true emotions. It sounds like a bloody, you know, one of these shows where you walk in free contestants and this contestant loves to have long walks on the beach. <laughs> so... No, unfortunately, well, we we loved the beach, but we were lying there unconscious, and and <laughs> we didn't yeah. remember the sunset or the sunrise. <laughs> so, <laughs> new different story. <laughs> but uh, that was the past. No, man, Steve, I'm I'm so grateful. I wish you all the best for your acting and singing career. And in all fairness, you might actually find that your honesty here might just trigger something in a producer who has been through the meetings because yeah. the, you can't just keep drinking. You can't just keep taking the cocaine and the speed and go all out and then crash and go all out. That works for a little while. And then the world is going tits up and that's that's just reality so therefore there will be many of us out there probably more than than people realize and i hope that someone 
uh, likes this interview and uh, says, hey, look, man, I've got actually an idea of, of a nice project. Shall we do? And then then next thing we see you is on a big screen and, and uh, having a fantastic time because you've done the hard work. You've, you, have, you have got your shit together. You're the new you. You're the new and improved version. Oh, my uh, man, it is, it's a matter of, of you persevering now and being out there. And oh, please, I'm, I'm wishing you all the best. I'm wishing certainly your mum all the best. And your dad, I wish him the strength to, to be there. And I wish him the honesty to say, well, I need a few moments of respite. Stevie, you take over. Um, so that is uh, sort of the things that, yeah. that are now in the priority in your life. Keep singing, man. And I need to look again at the picture because I saw one picture of you with the phoenix, and I didn't realize oh, yeah, okay. I didn't realize what it was uh, and why it, looks it like was. Like a cartoon, doesn't it? Oh, it's exactly, exactly. It's, like, it's colorful. That's right, and and I didn't realize what it was all about. Now that I saw uh, that I know the background, uh, it's a beautiful picture. It says so much, and it says so much about you. So well done, man. <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you to you because this, you know, and thank you for everyone who listens to it. Um, I hope it does help um, at some point because I think that being like this will will only help yourselves. Um, it's a great platform for you to do this, so congratulations to you as well. And um, I'll take a look at your book as well. <laughs> 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 I would be honored, and it is, it is hopefully, uh, it is, yes, it is about alcohol, but then the second part of the book is all about uh, dealing with the challenges in daily life and yeah. some actions, plans, yeah. etc. So it is, I hope it, it, it helps a lot of people out there. That's why I wrote it. Um, it's, it's not for self-gratification or something like that. It is my story and those things that helped me. So if you can yeah, make it happen. Brilliant. Right, Steve, thank you so much for your time. All of you thank out you there, again. look after yourselves. Make a little choice every minute, every hour, every day. It's up to you how you live your life. You make that call by doing those little choices. You can make this choice or that choice. Your call. No one forces you to do things. So, and you know, by putting little choices and little steps and little habits into the right way, suddenly you find yourself in a place that you thought, wow, how did I get here? This is beautiful. So keep working, guys. Keep working at it because it, it works. That's the saying in recovery, and it, it's so true. Sobriety rocks. We are out there. We are the rock stars. So, guys, look after yourself. And thank you so much for tuning in. And press that subscribe button down there. Press it. <laughs> cool. Look after yourself, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.